How many of you believe that there's a revival coming? How many of you are ready for a revival to come? Can I tell you this morning, I firmly disagree with you. I believe a revival has already begun. But the problem is sometimes we're looking for the remnants of what a revival looked like as a signal teller for what the revival currently is. Jesus says, you, you guys, you know all the signs of the times. You know how to read the calendars. You know how to read this. I'm standing right in front of you. And so we're looking for things that God has done. And believe me, we will see miracles and we will see the lost come to know God in droves. We're going to see it. But he's already begun to move. But in this first stage of revival, what he's doing is he's exposing the hearts of his church. Because God moves through his people. And until we're ready, we can't move to this next phase that we want to see. And so if you sing something like, Lord, whatever you're doing, don't do it without me. He says, I won't, but I need to prepare you for it. We, we don't get to offer our hearts to God and say, God, here I am. Use me however you want, but don't change a thing about me. God, I'm here. I'm ready. Take me as I am. He said, I'm going to take you as you are. But then you and I have some work to do. He says, you're the potter. I'm the clay. So God wants to, he, he's exposing things in, in our hearts and in this, in this country and it has nothing to do. If you think the revival of God is dependent on who's in office, your trust is in the wrong throne. But rather, God will use whoever is in office to expose the hearts of his people. Exposing how we shift, how we change, how we're affected by what's going on in the world around us, whether we're believing the news of the New Testament or the news of Fox. What we hang our hat on, what we trust in. And he's exposing this in our lives. He's preparing his people. And some of you may have already noticed this without noticing it, that maybe this year you've had to confront things that you've been trying to not confront for a while. You've been faced with things that you thought were in the closet. You've been faced with things that you thought ended generations ago, decades ago, but they're being thrown right in our face and we're blaming the enemy for it. And it's not. It's God. Because he's not just going to make Goliath disappear. You might have been hiding in the trenches for a while, but at some point you have to stand up with five stones and face the enemy so that then you can step into the next that God has for you. So this morning, I want to talk a minute about King Saul. If you have your Bibles, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15 will be in verse 23 through 26. Now, God has come to Saul in, uh, through uh, the prophet Samuel, and he says, look, I'm tired of the Amalekites. I'm done with them. We're not playing these games anymore. We've got to end this. It's over. And so what I need you to do, I need you to go destroy them. And if Sam, if this keeps up, we'll just switch to the host mic. Don't worry about it. I need you to take care of them. I need you to wipe out every single last member of this tribe and don't keep a single thing that was theirs. Destroy it all. Get rid of it all. But now Saul in his infinite wisdom decided to capture the king for himself as a trophy, and he decided to keep the best of the cattle, the best of the material, the best of the supply as a treasure unto himself. And that's where we pick up in verse 23. Samuel bringing the word of God to Saul, he says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and I did what they demanded. 
But now please forgive my sin and come back with me so I may worship the Lord. And Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. One more verse in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be free. We just closed a six-week series that Pastor Raynan preached on mastermind, controlling the way we think to control the way we live. And, and it's such good truth that we can't just go along with life, allowing whatever thoughts to flow through our minds or allowing whatever emotions to come through our hearts without checking them at the door and seeing where they're coming from. But what if the emotions and the thoughts and your feelings and your reactions are out of your control? Think of it this way. If, 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 you were, if you're planting a tree, if you're planting a, a, some kind of fruit, some kind of vegetable, I don't plant vegetables. I don't really plant anything at all. But I would imagine this. If a piece of rotten fruit grew on that tree, what would you do? Plug it away, right? That's what we've been talking about. I hope you all understand this. If something rotten shows up in your life, pluck it. Cast it aside. And if it shows up again and it's rotten, what should you do? Pluck it. I'm going to get in trouble on the live stream yelling, pluck it. Pluck the fruit. Pluck it and cast it aside. But if time and time and time and time again, the same rotten fruit keeps growing, I have to tell you, you don't have a fruit problem, you have a root problem. And if we spend our lives addressing fruit problems, but never addressing root problems, you will spend your entire life plucking fruit. But you, what you'll keep on producing is rotten fruit. When I was, um, I think I was in eighth grade, um, we had two dogs, Archie and Maggie. I loved Archie, Archibald. It was red healer. And uh, um, tough dogs, awesome dogs, but they were sissies when it came to the rain and to thunderstorms. I know you all have, you have dogs like that, the biggest, meanest things, and the second it starts raining, they're like cuddling you in bed. And uh, Archie was maybe three months old, and I remember it was like thunderstorming outside, and so my dad was trying to set him over their gate to block them in the hallway. Well, as my dad was trying to set him over, he freaked out and leapt out of his arms and landed awkwardly on his leg. And so he was kind of limping on that leg for a few days, and I am a dog person. And so one day, Archie's just sitting on the couch, kind of bumming around, and so I go to sit next to him, say, hey, buddy, like, what's up? You okay? Need a little loving? Come here. And I sat next to him, and he turned and chomped into my cheek, sunk down on the top, sunk up on the bottom. Then realizing what he had done, starts pulling away, trying to let me go, just pulling at my cheek, and finally, finally lets go, and, and he wasn't trying to... You know what happened is, what we didn't realize is when he took that fall, he had a broken leg. He had what you would call a green stick fracture. When, when young beings break something, their bones haven't completely solidified yet, and so it's still kind of bendy, but he had a green stick fracture. I didn't know that. So when I sat next to him, I put pressure on a wound that caused a reaction. Now, for this puppy, never meant to attack me. Never bit me again another day in my life. But when I put pressure on a wound, he had no choice but to turn and bite. Are your reactions in life products of wounds that you aren't even facing? 
products of wounds that you maybe thought had already been dealt with. Or maybe you're putting pressure on other people's wounds and they're attacking you. And the problem is in, in the Christian and the to- church culture, we become really good at identifying symptoms. But if I went to the doctor because I was feeling sick, he runs all these tests, he's charging my bill, and he walks in the room and he says, you know what, you have a fever and a cough, scratchy throat, and nausea. Well, duh, doctor, that's why I came to see you. What is my sickness? And so we like to point at aggression, and we'll point at the sin, we'll point at the symptom, but Jesus said, I came for the sick that they might be healed. I didn't come from the symptom to give judgment, to, to, to hand out, hey, you have a cough, I know. Help me. We have to be people in a church that offer help to people. Is it possible the responses in your life are coming out of wounded places? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this opportunity to speak. I thank you that, Holy Spirit, you're already superseding any of my fallacies, inadequacies, inabilities, God, and that you would speak directly to the hearts of your people. We thank you, Father. We give you this day to be a marked day of change. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm hurting. And the pile of all my broken pieces is stacked over my head at this point. And every time I get ahead, there's another attack ready to beat me back down. So please, somebody tell me what's the point in this. I'll never be strong enough to win. And every time I find the courage to stand back up, I fall right back down to sin. And I guess my wounds are infected at this point. They keep coming back and whenever people see me, they cringe. The look of disappointment they give me is becoming too close of a friend, but I guess the devil's happy because every time he looks at me, he grins. These dry bones are too fragile to walk it out, and at any point I may shatter. At any point I may shatter. I've tried running before. Thank you, Jesus. I've tried running before. And when I did, I got away. But as soon as I thought I was free, my past would finally catch up to me. So instead, I've learned to crawl with these weights on my back. And believe me, I've had hope. But it's been crushed by the hammer of unwanted thoughts. And believe me, I've had faith. But like a freight train, my insecurities were there to run straight through it. Maybe God tried pushing me out of the way, but I guess he was too late. And these wounds, they don't seem to be healing. I didn't get an immediate response from God. So I've tried other medicines, drugs, alcohol, girls, why isn't anything working? And to top it off, the devil isn't even hiding anymore. Every time I look over my shoulder like a lion, I see him lurking, drooling at the mouth, waiting to feed off my doubts. So please, somebody tell me what's the point in this. I get so tired of hearing people say, trust God and pray. Like that's the only thing I have to do to even begin to feel okay. But don't you hear me? I've tried everything, yet this pain I have just stays, I'm broken. And every time I've fallen, I've lost another piece of the puzzle that makes me who I am. I'm one big picture with many holes, so of course nobody wants me. I must be wounded for good. And I guess there is no hope on the other side, because if there was, I'm sure I would have found it by now. I've tried everything, but I guess I'm just wounded for good. Every single person in this room has faced or will face wounds at the hands of the enemy. 
Wounds that go back to childhood, wounds that go back to abandonment, neglect, harsh words, any form of abuse, sexual, emotional, mental, physical. And too often we've tried to just cover them up. We've wounded ourselves with sin, disobedience. The Bible even declares sexual morality. You're not just sinning against him, you're sinning against yourself. There are wounds taking place. There's trauma that takes place. And we've been lied to with this belief of this is just the way it's going to be. So I need to live on. We've been lied to with this idea of I'm just wounded for good. But he was wounded for your good. You don't have to be wounded for good because he took wounds for your good. We don't have to accept that as the way it's going to be, but we look up and we say, well, how can I change something that happened in the past? You can't. You're bound by time, but I know a Savior who is not. Who can reach back 20 years ago to that incident? Who can reach back to the moment your father stepped out of the door? He can reach back to the moment those words would say that still replay in your mind, he can reach back. You are incapable. That's the point of grace. That's the point of the cross. That's the point of why we're here. The word brokenhearted shows up many times in scripture, but the word for broken doesn't just mean broken. It means shattered in pieces. You could, you could easily take out the word brokenhearted and insert the word shattered soul. And if left untreated, a broken heart will get infected. And the infection of a broken heart is spiritual oppression. The infection of a broken heart is spiritual oppression. Let me, let me show you this in Scripture. Right back to Isaiah 61, verse 1. It says, He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released. What captives? The brokenhearted ones. Prisoners will be freed. Now look in Psalm 34, 18. He gives us hope, but we have to see something else in here. It says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The word for rescues there is uh, yasha, which means to deliver. You don't deliver something that's not oppressed. You don't deliver something that's not bound. Your broken heart, your shattered soul, even though you've lived on, is still bound and is in need of deliverance. And he delivers us. Signs of a wounded soul or wounded spirit are many, but they can include emotional triggers, overreactions, grudges. What about this, the constant replay of a memory and you can't seem to kick it out of your mind? Insecurities, relationship issues, bad powder, patterns, bouts of depression and anxiety, all of these things stemming from wounds, sometimes just a single moment, sometimes from reoccurring moments in your life, in your past, sometimes things that people have done to us, things we've done to ourselves, or things people have done to ones that we love, they still leave us wounded. And we have to address these wounds. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. Now, because God had rejected Saul, we learn about David, and now here we are in 16. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. A harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Today, we're going to focus, focus on what I believe to be the most prevalent. A manifestation of spiritual oppression in your life, the most prevalent infection of a wounded heart. And that's exactly what was tormenting Saul. Saul loved David. Saul loved David. But what we're going to read in a couple chapters is that Saul hurls a spear at him trying to pin him to the wall. 
Something was tormenting him, causing him to act outside of his own regular reactions or controls. And we actually already read the moment it happened back in 1 Samuel chapter 15. The Bible says that a, a spirit from the Lord, something from God, was sent to Saul. Now it says it, it filled him with torment. In another translation, it says it filled him with depression and fear. But it doesn't say that's why it was sent to him. It said it, that was, a, that was a, a symptom of the oppression. So what did God send to Saul? We don't see anything else. You know what he sent him? He sent him rejection. Saul, you've rejected me. I reject you. And the next thing you know, Saul, in a wounded state, is being tormented by an oppressive spirit. The spirit of rejection. He had been cast aside. He was still king, but he knew his days were numbered. He was, still, he was still in the room. He was still surrounded. He was still comforted. But he knew that rejection now lied with him. And we have to know for our own lives, there's a difference between experiencing rejection and receiving rejection. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, look, when you go out and you're going to be, you're going to be preaching the gospel and you're going to be entering these places, if you enter any village, if any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. What's he saying? You will be rejected, but don't receive the rejection. You have to find a way to leave without the rejection. You experience it, but you have to leave without it. And the biggest difference between experiencing rejection and receiving rejection is that when you receive rejection, you give rejection. When you've received rejection, you give that which you have. That's why some of us struggle with pushing others away. For some of us, our coping mechanisms are shutting down, getting reclusive, isolating ourselves. We cope with problems and pain by, by shutting everything else out. But what that is, is a manifestation of rejection in our lives. And rejection is tricky because it shows up in a lot of different ways. The most obvious being those people, you know, who always need AAA. Attention, approval, and affirmation. Attention, approval, and affirmation. Attention, approval, and affirmation. Constantly right there. Attention, approval, affirmation. Because they're trying to, to fill a void of acceptance that they don't have because they're struggling with a spirit of rejection in their lives. And so they're looking for outward places to fulfill this void, to, to bandage this wound. But just because you're not a needy person doesn't mean you're not dealing with rejection. In fact, the entire idea that you don't need anyone else might be its own manifestation of rejection. Because when, you, when you've lived with rejection for so long, you begin to give yourself immunities. Like, how many of you in here would say, like, I can feel that I need some vitamin C? Like, I just feel it, right, in this region. You don't feel it. But just because you don't feel like you need it doesn't mean you don't need it. But when you've dealt with rejection for so long, the way you protect yourself from the pain of rejection is to convince yourself, I don't need a dad. I don't need friends. I don't need support. I don't need pastors. I don't need people speaking into my life. I don't need those things because to admit you needed them and not have them would cause pain. I didn't realize that. Some of you didn't realize how much you needed a small group until you got in a small group. I didn't realize this was here. I didn't realize this was missing. I didn't realize I, I needed this support around me until you had it. And then it made all the difference. 
And many of us have not received breakthrough in this area because when you don't have something for so long, we've neglected the need. I just have to live, learn to live with this. It is the way it is. I'm wounded for good. And then you see people that, that struggle with this, not, not medically diagnosed, but this multiple personalities. They act one way with this group and one way with this group of people and one way at the front door of the church, but another way at the back door of the church. And what, and what we have to be careful of is as Christians, we like to put a name to this and we call it fake. I call it searching. And we become so quick to judge the symptom without looking at the sickness. But what, I mean, I know I'm only preaching about that person you know. But surely no one in here has struggled with rejection, has struggled with needing, has struggled with hurting, has pains in your past that you haven't quite let go, that if I mention the name of someone from your past, you would begin to clench your fists. Because it hasn't been let go yet. It hasn't been taken care of. Saul reacts to David with a spear. What did David do? Be David. That is all David did. David being David triggered Saul because Saul saw in David that which he did not see in himself. You realize that some people don't not like you. They just don't like that you like you. They don't like the fact that you're comfortable with who you are, that you recognize your gifting. And what if we say, oh, look at that show off. Look at that person just walking in the room, think they're all special. Well, get off the wall and go talk to somebody. But they don't like that you like you. And we put names to people and labels on people because of our own insecurities and rejections. In Genesis, the Bible says that Cain killed Abel. And it was after God rejected the offering of Cain. But the Bible doesn't just say he rejected his offering. It says he rejected him. Because he did not bring him an offering from himself. And what happens next? Cain kills Abel. Cain would not have killed Abel if God rejected Abel too. Rejection loves rejection. But because God accepted Abel and rejected Cain, it manifested in rejection in an attack from Cain to Abel. To be healed and set free, we have to go on the journey of asking ourselves, what is the wound? How deep is the wound? How did it come into being? What doors need to be closed? And this is where it gets messy. The answers don't always point to just meet us at the altar, we'll pray, and you're set free. It's not always that simple. It's not always that easy, but you have to ask the question. Some wounds are deeper than others. Some wounds take more time to heal than others. I'm sure a lot of you are facing, you might be saying, well, I don't have this deep-seated whatever. I'm sure you have some cuts. Why? Because every single person in this room was born rejected. God did not accept you. He couldn't. He had offered his acceptance, but could not give it to you until you accepted him. And that's hard to think, to think, well, why does God reject me? He left his son hanging on the cross because he is too holy and too righteous. But he made that sacrifice for you so that we don't have to live rejected. And we don't have to earn it. And we don't have to step back into right being. We can just come to him for reconciliation. Amanda, you messed with me. You're amening over there. Now you're amening over here, but it's getting me a little bit. So this morning, I wanna, I'm going to try to be, other than everything I just said, I'm going to try to be brief in the rest of this, and I want to give you just three points of things we have to do to address wounds. And over this time, if, 
I believe for some of you, God, the Holy Spirit has already brought moments to your mind. He's already been revealing things to you. Now, immediately the enemy has said, no, that's not really a wound. You can fix that by yourself. You're fine. But I encourage you this morning, don't leave without addressing the wounds that the Holy Spirit himself will reveal to you. Number one, this is the simplest yet the most difficult step when addressing a wound, and it's you have to cleanse the wound. You have to cleanse the wound. You cannot cover a wound until you cleanse a wound. In uh, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, he says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. You can't cover what you haven't cleansed. We saw this super clearly uh, after Harvey. We're going into these homes to demo them so that we can dry these houses out so people don't have to live in, in these circumstances. But one thing that we found is we would go into these houses and we would knock out the sheetrock and realize the mold had already grown up to the ceiling. That mold wasn't from Harvey. That mold was from Ike. But because people didn't know how to address the issue, they covered it up. And then the saddest part is, you know what they believe? They believe they just have allergy problems. They believe that they're just dealing with a cough, that they're just dealing with a cold, but because they've covered up what's growing and festering and manifesting out of a wound, they begin to label themselves. I guess I just need Zyrtec. I know that is blasphemy to our essential oils ladies in the house. I guess I need an allergy bomb. I guess I have to live on all these things the rest of my life because clearly I have sinus problems. No, you don't. You have a covered wound that's yet to be cleansed. But we begin to accept the symptom as the way things are. In Psalm chapter 51, verse 10, David is the greatest example of someone who had been wounded but knew what to do with it. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. We have stuff we have to clean off. Now remember we read, Jesus told his disciples, hey, you're going to be rejected, dust it off your feet. But then what did he do? The night before he was betrayed, he said, bring me your feet. You need to dust off rejection from your feet, but before I go, bring me your feet. I need to handle this. I need to address this myself. Now remember, Peter was like, Jesus, you're not about to wash my feet. You can't touch my feet. And Jesus is like, unless I wash your feet, you don't belong to me. And Peter says, well, then wash my head and my hands too. <laughs> and he does. And then Jesus gives him a warning in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, which we may or may not have. I may have added this this morning, guys. That's my fault. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. That's those Bible sword drills back in the day. We're there. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. What is he saying? Hey, Peter, Satan's coming for you. And you will receive a wound. When you have redressed the wound, return to me. And then what happens? Peter denies Jesus three times, just like Jesus said he would. But don't neglect the part where it says that then Peter leaves that place weeping bitterly. His sin against God wounded him. And then the next time we find Peter, he's out back fishing on a boat, back to his old life, back to what he used to do, neglecting the hurt that was inside of him. But then something happens that's beautiful and amazing. Jesus shows up on the shore. And Peter, unlike the other disciples who are like, well, let's, let's row this boat to shore. He says, I need a plunge. 
and dives right back in meets Jesus at the shore, and and he addresses the wound that needs to be cleansed. Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Addressing the three times he was denied. Peter, we got to figure this out. And they did. And he cooks him breakfast. And then, actually, that's an amazing lesson. If you get in in a spout with your wife or your husband, breakfast in the morning does not hurt. The Bible says Jesus had fish already cooking. They reconcile to one another. They address what Peter had done. He had to face up to it. And then he says, now go strengthen your brothers, right? What was the enemy trying to do? He he was trying to keep the mic out of Peter's hands on the day of Pentecost. And if Peter hadn't addressed his wound, the plan would have worked. But because he came back and faced what he had done, then on the day when the Holy Spirit fell, Peter could stand up boldly and preach a message that brought 2,000 to the kingdom of God because he was willing to cleanse the wound. You have to, this could be an entire message on its own, you have to forgive the offender. Sometimes that's you. But you have to forgive the offender. Now, now this, this could take a while. That's why you have pastors, leaders, mentors, small group support. Because you need to start addressing these things. You need to pray for the people who have offended you and let them go. Address the wound. We have to cleanse the wound. This happens through Jesus Christ alone. The next thing you have to do with the wound, first you cleanse the wound, then you have to protect the wound. But how you bandage a wound matters. How you bandage a wound matters. I would be willing to state that most of the sin, the addiction, the hurt, the lies that we see in this world are people misbandaging wounds. It's people trying to, to, to bandage old wounds and they're simply failed attempts because they're trying thing after thing, alcoholism, drug abuse, sexual immorality, eating disorders. Despite, contrary to popular belief, little Debbie is not the great physician. but man, does a Swiss roll cake make me feel good. And then you got to deal with the damage from that wound. Both of them. I'm doing my best. How you bandage your wound matters. What do I do with a, with a deep wound? You know, sometimes for some of us, it's this perfectionism. And you might, you might be a self-prescribed, you give yourself OCD, but are you sure you're not just striving to make everything perfect enough to prove to the one that rejected you that you're good enough? Yes. Yes. And it's not out of a place of, I just like things this way. It's a, I need people to see me this way so they don't leave me too. So they don't hurt me too. Here's what you do with your, your wound. You ready? Wrap it in worship. Wrap your wound in worship. Here we find David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 18. David had committed a sin. He had wounded himself. He sleeps with another man's wife, then has that man killed. He had gotten her pregnant. His son is born, and the wound produced a rejection of the offspring. Now this kid is sick. And David is he's spending his time uh, laying by the child's bed, tearing his clothes, wailing and moaning, This was his firstborn son, trying, trying, but it didn't work. Then on the seventh day, the child died, and David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? What is he going to do with this wound? 
When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked? Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself off, put on lotions, changed his clothes, went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace, was served food and ate. He got up, he cleansed the wound, and he wrapped it in worship. It's the exact same thing Job did. Job gets told servant after servant, hey, you lost your cattle. Hey, you lost your land. Hey, you lost your house. Hey, you lost your entire family. Says he tore his clothes, shaved his head, and fell to the ground to worship the Lord. That's the moment that got Job through the entire trials because he knew how to bandage his wound. You can't bandage your wound with someone else's worship. You can't bandage your wound with someone else's worship. Your wounds don't get covered because I'm worshiping God. Your wounds don't get covered because your mom worships God. Your wounds don't get bandaged from someone else's worship. Your wounds don't get bandaged because you play Pandora. Lauren Daigle's amazing, but she's worshiping not for your wounds. When do you fall to the ground before the Lord and address your wounds? When do you, by name, tell God who hurt you? What happened? Not just, God, just forgive all these sins. That's general. Guess what? He did. You're forgiven. If you stab me in the arm, I'm a nice guy. I'll forgive you. But I'm still bleeding. Wounds wounds are forgiven. What you did, the mistakes you made, the trauma that happened, you're forgiven. But you could still be bleeding. You have to address it cleanse it, and wrap it in worship. Because this is what, and remember, you can't, you can't bandage your wounds with someone else's worship. How do we know this? That's what Saul tried to do. Right there in chapter 16, verse 14, it says, he was being tormented by the Spirit. So what does he do? One of his servants says, hey, there's this guy named David. He plays worship. He plays music. The Lord is with him. So Saul calls David into his court and has David, every time he's feeling uh, uneasy, every time he's feeling hurt, every time he's feeling tormented, he has David begin to worship. And the Bible says when he did, it worked and Saul felt great. But then David left. The tormenting spirit returned. You can't bandage your wounds with someone else's worship. In the... In the Old Testament, we see Jacob, who had been through so much, and he shows up on, on Laban's land, and he sees Laban's daughter, Rachel, and he's like, dang. Let me tell you, church, she had to, he, he agreed to work for seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. That girl had it going on. <laughs> but now she had an older sister named Leah. The Bible said that Leah was weak in the eyes. I don't even know what that means. But it sounded like Leah had a good personality. So Jacob tells Laban, hey, I'll work for you for seven years for Rachel. And he does. And at the end of the contract, they have a big festival, a big party. Jacob got a little tipsy and he woke up the next morning next to Leah. Laban, what's up? I didn't want all weak guys over here. I wanted Rachel. So then he agrees to work another seven years for Rachel's hand. We don't address how that made Leah feel. Leah, he worked, he's willing to work another seven years because you're not good enough? 
He's willing to, to enslave himself for another seven years. And you know what, he, you know what um, the Bible says? It says, the next seven years only seem like a few days because of his love for Rachel. Shut up, Jacob. How did Leah feel? What's going on for Leah? You know how we know what happens with Leah and how she was feeling? Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children. Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, The Lord had noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. Self-pity. She's bandaging her wounds with self-pity. And verse 33 says, She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son, and she named him Simeon, for she said, The Lord heard that I was unloved, and he gave me another son. More pity. Verse 34, then she became pregnant a third time, gave birth to another son who was named Levi, for she said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me. Now she's trying to bandage her wounds with affection from someone else. This is a complete aside. If you haven't bandaged your wounds before entering a relationship, it is not your partner's job to bandage them for you. And if you're using someone else to bandage your wounds, it is not their fault that they can't. You have to handle it with the Lord. But she's, my husband's going to love me this time. I've given him three sons. But verse 35, once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. Now she named him Judah, for she said, now I will praise the Lord. Now I will praise the Lord. Now here's why this is so important. Y'all know the first chapter of the New Testament that we all skip? These are the descendants, the, the line of Jesus, the Messiah. So-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so who had this guy, who had that guy. It says, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had a son named Judah. And 14 generations later, we realize that it's from this line that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world is born. Rachel had a son too later on. Her son was Joseph. One of the most, the, the most godliest examples we get in Scripture of holding on to the Word of God, ruled over all of Egypt right next to the hand of Pharaoh, but it wasn't through his line. It was through the line of rejection that came the Savior of the world. Praise out of a rejected heart produces deliverance. Praise from a rejected place. Praise from a place of I'm not getting this from anywhere else. I'm not okay. That's why I love worship so much. And, And I'm sure you've heard me say this before. Do you realize that when you get to heaven, you will never be able to worship rejected again? You will never be able to worship wounded again. You will never be able to worship in spite of again. There's no more sorrows, no more, no more pain. So right now, the power of wounded worship is in my hands. And out of the praise of a rejected heart came deliverance. Last thing you guys can join me is monitor the wound. You've cleansed the wound. You've wrapped the wound. You've bandaged the wound. You've protected the wound. And now you have to monitor the wound. And this brings us to everything we've been talking about over this Mastermind series. You can't have a dress and be like, I guess it worked. What is your life producing now? Am I still checking my thoughts? Am I still checking my emotions? Am I still running through my responses? How I'm reacting to people? How how I get upset when people trigger me with just that one word? With just those small things. I'll tell you, 
It wasn't even until I, I started diving into the, these, uh, this topic about a year ago, really into human psychology and, and how we're affected by things. And it's not even until I got in there that I realized some of the wounds that I have from an older brother who did older brother stuff. Like, like other than the one time he duct taped me in my underwear in the tree outside in the front yard. It was like a one-time thing. Brothers do that. It's fine. But I didn't realize what feeling the necessity for approval from my older brother created in my life and how that's manifested in this needing to work. Probably the reason that I get nervous before coming up here on a Sunday morning, it's not to preach, it's because are they going to approve what I say? Are they going to accept the word of God from me? This, this rejection, and we have to face it. So in your life, you have to monitor these wounds. In Psalm chapter 139, verse 23, it says, Search me, O God, know my heart, Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out in me anything that offends you. Lead me along the path of everlasting life. Search me, O God. Lord, whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. And if I want to be a part of that, I have to let you search me. If I want entry, I have to give myself over to a search. God, I've addressed this, but it's still kind of bothering me. Okay. Let's address it again. Let's talk again. Let's pray again. Let's bring in mentor again. Let's get support again. Because we can't move on. You don't have to be wounded for good. You don't have to live wounded for good. Keep checking the fruit. And this is so important. See, for some of you, maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you've gotten through this. Maybe that abuse, maybe that moment, you've addressed it, you've protected it, You've monitored it. I don't think I pronounced that right. But for some reason, you keep covering the scar. Scars are a testimony of God's ability to heal deadly wounds. And we cover them up because we don't want people to see the hell that we've been through. We don't want people to see that hurt. We don't want people to see that pain. We don't want people to see that but what would have happened if Jesus never showed his scars to Thomas? You are surrounded by Thomases. Hey, guess what? Jessica in that cubicle over to the side needs to know how you dealt with that divorce. Your boss needs to know the fact that, hey, you lost a child too. People in your life need to see your scars. They're a testimony of God's goodness and what he does for us and what he brings us out of, what he brings us into. And then my favorite thing about scars is they're now in my arsenal of weapons to use against the enemy. Because every single time he comes against me, I know he tried that. Look right here. No, no, oh no, devil, like that, that's cute and everything, but uh, God's already healed that. Yeah, I have been wounded. I have been hurt. I have lost loved ones. I have been rejected. I have been despised. I have been talked about. I have been hurt and people that love me have been abused, but I'm still here and I'm still worshiping and my hands are still lifted high and I'm still on my feet and I still give glory to my God because he's delivered me through it because the Lord is close to those who are brokenhearted and those whose souls are crushed. He rescues. Do not hide those scars. Put them on display. Let the world see how good your God is. I'll close with this. There is a promise of healing if you'll allow it. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 12. 
This is what the Lord says. Your injury is incurable, a terrible wound. There's no one to help you or bind up your injury. No medicine can heal you. All your lovers, your allies, they've left you and don't care about you anymore. I've wounded you cruelly as though I were your enemy, for your sins are many and your guilt is great. Why do you protest your punishment? This wound that has no cure, I've had to punish you because your sins are many and your guilt is great. But all who devour you will be devoured. All of your enemies will be sent into exile. All who plunder you will be plundered. All who attack you will be attacked. I will give you back your health. I will heal your wounds. For you are called an outcast, Jerusalem, for whom no one cares. This is what the Lord says. When I bring Israel home again from captivity and restore their fortunes, Jerusalem will be built upon its own ruins and the palace will be reconstructed as before. And what will happen next? There will be joy and songs of thanksgiving. And I will multiply my people and not diminish them. I will honor them and not despise them. He has made a promise to heal your wounds. I'm going to do something a little different tonight. It's it's been an exercise that I learned and I've actually been doing with some of our young adults addressing some old things in life. And if you'd be willing to not indulge me, but indulge the Lord for a moment. What is that memory? What is that hurt? What is that line? What were those words? And what I want to do is I'm going to take a moment. What I want to do is I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit speak to you because my words are done. But he's going to speak to you and reveal what that point was, what that moment was. For some of you, you already know the memory and you've been avoiding it for a while. But I want you to do something different this time. I want you to go there. I want you to look it in the eye. And then I want you to look for Jesus there. I want you to ask him what he was doing then. I want you to ask him to speak to you out of that moment. He spans space and time. He's back in that moment right now waiting for you to meet him there. I want you to address that. So I'm going to pray with every head bowed and every eye closed. Take a moment. Take a moment. Don't resist the Holy Spirit right now. Let him take you to that point. Let him take you to that place. The cleansing begins today. Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, reveal. Don't fight that. That's not just your own head moving. That is the Holy Spirit right now. Recalling words to mind, recalling loss to mind, recalling abuse to mind. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. And now what I want you to do is ask Jesus where he is. Ask him where he was. Ask him what he's saying in that moment. Speak to your people, God. Speak to wounded hearts, God.